Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and I hope you brought a Bible with you. We're going to be turning to a passage in 2 Peter, 2 Peter. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, we'll put words on the screen. You can follow along there. But if you like to look through the Bible, which is kind of what I do whenever I visit a church, I'll just use the, the hardback black Bible or pew Bible that's underneath the seat close to me. So you can grab one of those too. There, there's one underneath the seat close to you, and you can turn to page 1018 to find Second Peter there. I want to tell you what happened to me this past week, just by way of uh, introduction to what I want to talk about today. Um, I was in a store this week, and I walked by something, and I thought to myself, that would make a wonderful Christmas gift. So how many people here are already thinking Christmas? All right, to be honest, how many nerds in the room, I'm sorry, how many people in the room have already decorated for Christmas? One hand, that's right, let's go. I seriously thought about it this last week. I'm just gonna drag the trees out. My, my wife and family would think I'm insane at this point, I'm sure. But no, I'm walking through the store, I see something as a Christmas gift. Now be, just so you know, I'm not thinking that this would be awesome to buy someone for Christmas. I was thinking someone should buy it for me for Christmas. So I'm starting to put together my list, you know what I'm talking about, that you give your family, your friends, your grandparents, your neighbors, anyone and everyone who might buy you a Christmas gift. Uh, but I remember when my wife and I, Stacy, were first married before we had kids and we used to um, enjoy life and travel a little bit. <laughs> that didn't mean to come out as strong as it did, but that's a real thing. Um, but anyways, we got for Christmas one year the most amazing gift if you ever travel. It was called a GPS, right? Way back in the day before everyone had GPSs like in their phones, you actually had to have this extra thing that you put in your car on the dash and you plugged it in to a cigarette lighter? Yes, cars used to have cigarette lighters in them back in the day. That round thing <laughs> where you plug in your phone is a cigarette lighter holder. Anyways, anyways, we got a GPS and we would use it to travel. And I remember tra uh, driving out of state somewhere to meet some friends for dinner. We're doing something, I don't know. And we're following the GPS and um, we're running late and I'm a little tense already and the things tell me turn right, turn left and I'm like, ah, I don't know where I'm going. Um, but I listen and obey to every direction, right? As best as I possibly could. And it literally leads me and my wife up to the banks of a rushing river and then tells us our destination is just on the other side. <laughs> So, I mean, old timers will remember this when GPSs were ridiculously bad at giving you horrible directions, right? When we finally got to the dinner place, we told our friends, we're like, this is what happened to us. He's like, well, you can't even get here from there. I know, that's what I was trying to say. So the GPSs used to give us bad directions, false directions is what I'm saying. Now, I come to believe that it wasn't doing it intentionally. I don't think that's what someone was programming it to do. I think it just, the technology just wasn't really great yet, or the, map, the maps weren't really fully functioning yet. 
But I, I want you to know this, where we read today in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter's talking about some people who, who give false directions or who give false teachings on purpose. They do so on purpose. Do you know this? There are people out there who will tell you lies, tell you things that are not true. Did you know that? They're called teenagers. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, not, there's a teenager going, I don't want <laughs> It happens sometimes. Here's the scary thing. That there are people inside the church who do the same thing. There are people, pastors, leaders of churches, hear me, Christian churches too, who are telling people false things, who are telling people false doctrine, who are teaching the wrong things to people. And just like that GPS gave me directions to what was literally a dead end for us, we had to turn around back out. These false teachers who are teaching the incorrect things about Jesus to people are, are leading them not, not down a proverbial road of death, but a, a genuine road of death and destruction. If they're teaching incorrect things about who Jesus Christ is and who God is, they're leading them incorrectly. And that, that road cannot and will not ever lead to life. Did you know that? If you don't believe me, let me tell you a story about a church. I won't give you its name, but many of you, I'll even venture to guess, all of you know the church that I'm talking about. It's a church around not long ago, and it had a lot of members, and they did wonderful things in the, the community here. They had a, a heated swimming pool. I don't know why that matters, but it's a heated swimming pool. <laughs> and they used to let underprivileged children come and swim in the pool. They had uh, stables with horses just outside the city so all of the children in the city could come out and experience nature and go on these trail walks with these horses. They had uh, residential homes for the elderly and the infirmed. They had a medical care center. They had a rehab center to get people off of drugs. Who would agree that's a wonderful thing to do in the, the world today? to rehabilitate addicts and this and that. They even had, <laughs> wait for it, they even had an animal-like shelter for strays. I'm like, if anyone on the earth is doing Christian work on the earth, it's them, yes? And in fact, I'll go so far to say that there are people, high-ranking officials, even in our own U.S. government, a senator, a senator who eventually became a vice president said about this pastor and the church that they are doing wonderful things and they should be an inspiration to us all. The, the Secretary of Health and Welfare and Education said that this church inspires the world to do likewise or something like this. Loose quotes, if you will. Do you know where that church is right now? They're dead. And I don't mean the church is closed. I mean, everyone in the church is dead now. Can I tell you why? Because on a day not long ago, that pastor sat under a pavilion with a microphone in his hand. And he began to call all the people of the church to come towards him. And as all the people are coming, bringing children and babies and gathering around, soon to be surrounded by armed guards, they wheeled big vats of Kool-Aid laced with cyanide into the middle of the pavilion. And he began to talk about death and how beautiful and wonderful it is. And one day we will all get to be together, but today's the day we must go. And so they took... They took bottles and sippy cups and fed the children. And they gave cups of juice to the younger children and some of them not wanting to do it. So they had to force them. Then the, the leaders of the church and eventually even the pastor drank the cyanide. And for everyone there that did not drink willingly the Kool-Aid, the armed guards forced them all. And there was euphoria, but for a few moments until the screams started. 
Over 80 little children, little children, not old enough to, do, to, do their, uh, to drink this on their own. They were force-fed this poison that took their life. Over 80 children, 780 people in total died that day. The name of the church, wait for it, was People's Temple of Christ Church. The pastor's name was Jim Jones. <laughs> False teacher? <laughs> yes, <laughs> The answer is, oh my gosh, yes, false teacher. He led people astray. He led people down a road called death, not just physically here, but possibly eternally as well. Peter addresses Christians. He's writing letters. He wrote two letters to his friends, brothers and sisters, Christians, people he loves and knows. He's encouraging them. He's an apostle now. He, he's seen Jesus. He's served with Jesus. He's walked with Jesus. And Jesus has gifted him and anointed him to go ahead and teach the church as it begins to grow on the earth. He's writing letters to his friends, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And in this letter, 2 Peter, he reminds his friends that he's going to die soon. He knows the day is drawing near. He's going to be crucified. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But in his last waking moments, he's desperate to tell people things that you must never waver from the truth. Know this truth about Jesus. And just so you know, if you've wandered in here today wondering what's happening, can I just tell you what's happening in here today? We have gathered to give praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Someone say amen. amen. Yes, we do it with, great, with a great band, yes? And a ridiculously handsome pastor, I'm just saying. Yes, you agree, I agree. Yes, no, we do all of these things, but all of this is to give glory to Christ. I mean, that's my clothes. I could stop here, but that's why we're here. Peter writes to these Christians and he says, you need to understand that's so important. Never waver from that. And as long as I'm breathing air on this earth, I will remind you of these things. And then in the second chapter of his letter, which just so you know, he didn't really put the chapter headings in there. We did that many centuries later. So just know this, in the main body of his letter to his friends, he spends the bulk, time, the bulk amount of time in his letter warning them about something. Guess what he warns them about? False teachers, false prophets. So I, I want you to know that he has come to, Peter was writing to them to warn his friends about false teachers. And secondarily, and maybe even most importantly, he's trying to disarm the false teachers that are already in their, in their midst. See, if we can point them out and expose them for who they are, then they have no power over us. And that is the desire that I would walk us through today, that we would hear Peter's words and that you and I would be able to quickly see and be able to discern or know who false teachers are because we don't want them around us, yes? I'm telling you right now, I'll say it again, if you see a false teacher, you got someone comes and tells you some crazy stuff, you kick them in the shin, say no, and you run the other way. <laughs> Stranger danger. No, no, no. That's what we do. We just get, kick them off our front step. Tell them to get out of our yard. In love, but they gotta go away. So we would know who they are, and secondarily, we could take their power from them because they'll, they'll, they won't be able to hurt us because we know what they're trying to do. So anyways, to do all that, I wanna pray for us that we might be wise and, and hear what God has to say to us. Again, we're gonna be in 2 Peter chapter 2, so let's pray together. Lord, thank you for everything that you do. Father, you have given us your, your beloved son, your very one and only son, Jesus. 
and that he has come to earth and he has saved us, even from ourselves, Lord, as he's saved us, given us the opportunity for eternal life and salvation. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to die for us and to save us. And Jesus, we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, for giving us the Holy Spirit that the Bible calls calls the comforter, the helper, the one who encourages and strengthens and empowers us to live this life of a Christian. God, help us to hear your words today, to see clearly um, what you would have us learn from the text today. We pray for these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I won't have enough time to go through all of chapter two. It's 22 verses. You'll thank me later if I don't labor through all of that. We'll get through eight or nine today. But your homework, if you want it, would be to read the rest of the chapter. It'll take you three or four minutes or so to read it. It'd be helpful to you. But what Peter's trying to do to his friends, brothers and sisters, right, in in Christ, he's trying to show them that, that false teachers are around us. And he starts here in verse one by telling us a a characteristic of a false teacher. And just so you know, there's probably 25 or more uh, characteristics of false teachers in here. I'm gonna give you like five or six just so we can kind of see what they look like. But in verse one, it says that false prophets arose among the people. What he's pointing to is back in the day in the nation of Israel, when Israel was in the promised land, there were false prophets who came amongst the true prophets back in the day. It happened then right? So we knew it happened. Those people would have understood that. And he continues, and there will also be false teachers among you too. Remember, Peter's going to go away. He's going to die soon. And he's telling his friends, he says, this is, you got to watch out for false teachers because there were false teachers way back then. And there's going to be false teachers even now. So the first characteristics that we need to know about false teachers, and this is almost frightening to say and admit, but they are among us. They are around us there might even be some of them sitting in this room. Now, <laughs> before anyone says, ah, there's one. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> so, <laughs> if the shoe fits, Joe. Anyways, um, I, I want to just say this. I, I do think occasionally some people with great zeal for something new that they've learned from someone um, can, can learn something incorrectly and they can be in this room and they might actually tell other people, hey, did you check this thing out? I just learned this on YouTube last night from this really cool prophet you know, on the internet. <laughs> just so you know, don't take your um, theological training from people on the internet. I'm just saying that out loud because most of these people, if you didn't know, still live in the basement of their parents' house, right? And they're wackadoodle, just a little bit. Just throwing it out there. But they learn something, and with great zeal, they begin to tell other people about it. I don't, I'm not calling them false teachers. They're just misled. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. They've been instructed incorrectly, and they're just telling other people the same thing. It's not the same thing. The false teachers that we're talking about here choose this. And we'll get to that in a minute. But know this, that false teachers are around us. And, and, and it says that they will um, come into your mixed, midst secretly, here in verse 1, bringing in destructive heresies. They come in um, sublimely. They come in quietly. They come in unannounced. Oh, how wonderful it would be for us if they would just wear a sign that says, I don't know anything about Jesus. <laughs> I don't know anything. I'm going to teach you something incorrect or false. But they do not. 
They come in and they, they sound like every other pastor, every other Christian leader you've heard of. They, they use some of the same language that you've heard before. It sounds the same and it's very subtle, the differences, but the differences are there. We have to just be trained to look for them and to know them. He says they'll come in secretly and they bring destructive heresies. Heresy, that's a fun word to say in church, isn't it? I, I remember growing up, I remember people thinking um, that when people teach heresy, they would say heretic with like furrowed brow and anger in their voice. Here's what I know about heresy. Heresy, it's incorrect teaching for sure, but it's a choice that they make. They choose not to believe the truth that the Bible tells us. They choose to believe this false doctrine about God. They choose to believe this about the Holy Spirit or Jesus. They choose this. Heresy just means a choice for them. And these choices that they're making, Peter adds to, uh, adds to it, that's destructive. It destroys. Do you know who, um, the Bible tells us there's a person who, who seeks to destroy those on the earth, seeks to devour those on the earth. Does anyone know who that person is? It's the devil, Satan, boo. You can always boo when I say Satan. It's okay with me. I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's the devil, right? It's, it's Satan. He's seeking to destroy. I'm telling you, these people who are false teachers, they are not motivated by the things of God. We have to be very honest with ourselves. They are motivated by the things of Satan and or demons. And they choose this. Again, this is not the unintentional person teaching false doctrine. This is a guy or, or, per, or girl who, who comes in to mislead people. It's what they desire to do. So these uh, false teachers are always around us. They are subtle. And he continues to say this, that they teach these destructive heresies, even here at the end of verse one, even denying the master who bought them. Capital M master. Anybody want to take a guess who Peter's talking about here? It's Jesus. I'll just tell you, it's Jesus. Jesus is the master. Jesus is the one who bought us, who purchased us. So let me give you a real quick um, story about this purchase thing. So every once in a while, I've been known to go to a place called, I don't know, you might've heard of it, McDonald's. McDonald's, right? And I'll, I'll want some French fries. It usually happens about two o'clock in the afternoon when I start to get a little sleepy. Anyone else? I'll go get a Coke and some fries. All right, you got me. And a chicken sandwich with cheese. I'm just saying, that's what I usually do. And as I go through the drive-thru, I, I hand them cash. And by cash, I mean a piece of plastic called my debit card. I hand them my debit card and they exchange it for the, the glorious goodness that is McDonald's food. Yes? I purchased that. What Peter's saying is that Christ, the master, has come to purchase us. And we know that Jesus has come and he has given over his life for us. He's exchanged his life. He's given his death on a cross for us in exchange that we might have life and life to the full. Yes, and eternal life, just so you know. So there's an exchange that's taken place. And these, these heretics, these people teaching destructive heresies, these false teachers, the first thing they do is they deny Jesus Christ. So do you want a, a test to, to find out if these people are false teachers or not? It's real easy. When they come knocking on your door, and you know who I'm talking about. When they come knocking on your door, don't get into the debate about the books and whatever. Ask them this question. Tell me about Jesus. What do you know about Jesus? Because false teachers deny aspects of Jesus. Now, when I say ask them about Jesus, what am I specifically saying? 
I'm talking about the truth in the Bible that says that Jesus is the incarnate, that Jesus was incarnated, or that, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Yes? So many of these people who come knocking on your door when you ask them, was, is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus God in the flesh? Some of them will say no right off the bat. And what do we do to people who are teaching us false doctrine? We line up like this, we kick them wherever you want at this point. It doesn't matter. You, you say no, and then you push them off your step. No, we just don't listen to them. It's whatever's needed. It's, it's, I don't care what else they're selling. If they don't have that one figured out, I'm not buying. In the news, in the media lately, you'll hear this argument that, that, um, that, that Muslims and Christians actually worship the same God. Have you heard that? They even have in their, their holy book uh, teachings of Jesus and a man named Abraham, and it sounds awfully and eerily familiar and similar to our own book. But as soon as you ask them about Jesus, is Jesus incarnate? Is Jesus the Son of God? The answer quickly becomes no. And all of a sudden, we know we're not talking to someone who understands the Bible. You have Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door. You ask them, what do you know about Jesus? Is he the Son of God? Is he God in the flesh? They answer no. You shut the door. The Church of Jesus Christ, which sounds so great until they add of Latter-day Saints to the end of that thing. The Mormons? The same thing. They do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They all believe that Jesus was in fact created. But the truth is this, is Jesus Christ is the uncreated one. He was here before anything else exists. In fact, the only, thing, the only reason anything exists is because Jesus made it, yes? So these heretics, these false teachers, they deny Jesus. They deny his incarnation. They deny his salvation, that he came to save us that there was a transference of God's wrath and punishment upon Jesus, the sinless one, so that you and I can live a free life. They deny those things. You go to the Jehovah's Witnesses and ask about salvation. They say this, oh yeah, you can be saved if you attend this church, if you become a, uh, what do they call themselves? A witness or something, right? If you, the only way to have salvation in the Jehovah's Witness church is to become a Jehovah's Witness. It says nothing about the works of Christ, which is disgusting. It means God's son died for no reason then, if that's not true. They make it a lot about works. Islam is about works. The Mormons are about works. Save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. That's not true, ladies and gentlemen. It's not true. If you've been taught that, you've been lied to. Someone has come in and told you incorrect things. God saves people through his son, Jesus. How about the resurrection? When if, they de if they deny Jesus, they're denying his resurrection. They'll say things like, well, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just swooned. What does that mean, swooned? It means he, he passed out because of the pain? Okay, I can see that, yeah. And they bury him in a grave. Three days later, he somehow resuscitates, which is just kind of a miracle, if you will, having been hung on a cross and executed by trained Roman soldiers. If anyone knows how to kill people, it's those people. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, he wasn't dead. He was, wait for it, swooning. <laughs> And three days later, he pushes a heavy stone out of the way and then proceeds to walk seven miles on a road to Emmaus with feet that have holes in them from the spikes that held him to the cross. Listen, I limp when I stub my toe. I can barely get around the house. And he walked seven miles with spiked feet? No, it's false teaching. If they don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, lean back. Now, 
Now I'm punching them. Now at this point, at this point, I'm like, you, are you back again? <laughs> we went through this. Um, and then they would, they would, they would deny the ascension of Christ. He not only raised from the dead, but they deny that he actually ascended back to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, where he is now, listen, right now, ruling and reigning over his kingdom, where he is right now interceding for us, where he is right now praying that we understand this right now. And they deny all of those things. And when those people deny those simple aspects about Christ, they're not true teachers. They're false teachers. Uh, we keep reading verse 2, and it says, many will follow their words or their sensuality. <laughs> they, they many, I, I was just stuck on that word, many will follow them. I just picture this sort of broad road where, where the masses follow, except that speaks against the things of what God says. That, that Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount that there are two gates that stand before all of humanity. This is a paraphrase of Matthew chapter 7. There are two gates that stand before all of us. And there's a narrow gate that is hard but leads to life. And there's a wide gate that's easy and leads to death. These false, teacher will open a, false teachers will open a wide gate that is easy and leads to destruction. And how do we know? Because many will follow them. Many will follow them. And why do they follow them? Because it's easy. See, we stand, um, we stand at the narrow gate and we want the, the, the road that, or the path that leads to life. We hear from Jesus himself and he says it's hard. And by hard, it's not because we have to like labor towards it. It's hard because it's going to cost us things. It costs us things. The, the mere fact that I said yes to Jesus Christ and decided to follow him and serve him all the days of my life means I have said no to so many other things. And I'm gonna be very frank with you. That has been hard for me on some days. It, it means that I, I teach my children in a different way than my neighbors teach their children, which makes for some very interesting conversations around the dinner table. Well, how come we don't get to this? How come we don't get to that? I'm going... We don't do that. I'm sorry to say that. No, we don't do those things. And it becomes hard. Leading your life this way is hard and challenging and difficult. I'll say this. Maybe it needs to go, un it doesn't need to be said, but it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. When, when the path says it leads to life, I don't care what your, your, your situation is, choose life. Don't choose ease. Don't choose safety, choose life and let God navigate you through all of that. We keep reading after verse two and verse three, and it says another characteristic of these false teachers is that they um, show greed, that in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. At this point, the people in the church become consumables to them. And they just need you to give them some stuff so they can continue building their thing over here. And you're nothing but a commodity to them. Now, this false teaching is everywhere in the world, not just in the church. And if, if I could be honest, I, I, I have to teach against this all the time to my two teenage daughters. Because there's a, a world out there that keeps telling them that they're just a commodity to be had by other people, particularly teenage boys. <laughs> 
So I'm ever telling them their worth comes from God, not from what these boys say or the, the, the shivers that run up and down your spine when they talk to you or any of that stuff. That has nothing to do with who you are as a person. All that person wants to do, and I, I speak from painful experience, all that person wants to do is use you for what you can give to them. See, that's a false doctrine against the image of Christ that they've been made in, the image of God that they've been made in. Someone's coming alongside of them. I would argue the devil and demons and all of that are coming to destroy generation, coming to do these things, to just get them used up and spit out so they feel like they have no self-worth. How many of you, to be very honest, have friends that say, I'll never go to church because I've done so many terrible things in my day that they would never accept me anyways? That's the lie out there that says, yes, you're, you're unworthy of Christ. You're unworthy of the things of God. But that is a lie. But they've bought into the false doctrine that says, use your life and expend your life for the sake of other people instead of using your life and spending it for the sake of Christ. That's why we here at the church, we accept everyone who comes in. Yes, more and more. You've been lied to. You are unworthy. But God doesn't see you that way, right? God doesn't see, see you that way. God sees something else in you. Um, that's a side note. I'm getting off my notes here. So anyways, they are greedy. They will use you like a consumable. And lastly, and um, maybe the most encouraging thing we'll hear today, it says here in verse three, uh, at the end of it, it says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. He is saying God is going to judge them. God will judge the ungodly and the wicked. And I assure you it will happen. Tomorrow morning, the sun is going to rise in the east. Would you agree with me? And why do we say that? Because it happened yesterday. <laughs> and the day before. The day before. The day before. Peter takes that idea and shows us that God has judged the ungodly and the wicked before. He's done it multiple times. And Peter gives us three quick stories, verse 4, 5, and 6. Look at this in verse 4. He said, One time God did not spare angels when they sinned against him. But he cast them into hell and he committed them to the chains of a gloomy darkness to be kept there until the day of judgment. There was a time, we don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know what, there's a time when the created beings, the angels, a few of them rose up in insurrection to be led by another angel by the, th by the name of Lucifer. Ever heard of him? Lucifer grabs some other angels and they rebel against God. And what does God do? He judges them. He condemns them. He casts them out of heaven. Those fallen angels we call demons today. Verse five, he said he did not even spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness and seven others in his family when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. The Bible tells us that the world was filled with wicked people. Filled, and God sent judgment to the earth. He flooded the entire earth. This is the most encouraging bedtime story you could ever give your children as you put them in. You guys know no and all the animals. Yes, yes, they go in the ark and then God shut the door and killed everyone else. <laughs> Good night. Love you. I mean, who, who does? Anyways, so but Noah was saved. Why was Noah saved? Because he listened. Because God said, I'm going to send judgment to the earth. Build a boat. Rain's coming. Everyone scoffed. Everyone laughed. You're an idiot, Noah. You're a moron, Noah. What are you doing, Noah? And then one day it started to rain. The Bible tells us that it was God himself who, who shut the door behind them as they entered the ark. And when the floodwaters came and destroyed everything else, those same floodwaters that destroyed 
everyone lifted an ark off the ground. This, this ark is a picture of Jesus. That we too will be saved from judgment. We too can be saved from condemnation if we will just get inside of Jesus. That we are clothed in his righteousness. So when judgment comes, we will be lifted up out of that. Yes, yes. We will be lifted up out of death and into life because of Christ. He did it to the angels. He judged them. He judged the whole globe. And it says he also did it to a couple cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 6. He says, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. You don't think God is paying attention to the wickedness that's happening. You don't, you don't presume to think that God's going to judge again. He is going to judge again. He will. He is not asleep on this detail. He is watching, ever watching, and he knows what's happening. Just because we haven't seen a judgment lately, just because we haven't seen these things, no, it's coming. There comes a day when he will judge again. But there's good news, and Peter says this in verse 9. Skip down to verse 9. So not only does the Lord know how to judge people, he also, verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from trials. God knows how to rescue people as well. Isn't that encouraging? Yes. Look what it says here in verse 7. Real quick, back up to this guy named Lot. And if he rescues righteous Lot, Lot's a guy's name, his parents said, man, you eat a lot, or man, you poop a lot. They named him Lot, so that's his name, I guess. And they call him Lot, and it says... He rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the righteous man Lot lived among them, the wicked people, day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over all of their lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. This man Lot was a righteous man that God spared in judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, to be very honest with you, when I read that, I about lost my ever-loving mind because I know the story of Lot. I've read it in the Old Testament. I know what happened. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a couple things out there about Lot's life and you help me decide if Lot was a righteous man or not, okay? Number one, when given the opportunity to choose the land that was before him, when he and his uncle Abraham, heard of him, Abraham and Lot are going to pick land to live in, a, or Lot chose the land with Sodom in it even though he knew Sodom to be a wicked city. Question, do righteous people surround themselves with wicked things, yes or no? Do righteous people do that? No, but Lot is righteous. Okay, number two, at one point, Lot offers... He, he offers his virgin daughters to be molested by an angry mob that waits outside his house. I have two daughters. Is that a righteous act? Oh, you better say no. No. I can't in any shape or fashion see that as a righteous act. Uh, number three, the righteous lot that we hope to talk about here. Number three, at one point after the city is destroyed and he's rescued out, it says that he got drunk. The Bible tells us that he got really drunk and slept with both of his daughters, impregnating them both. Now, at the time, he didn't know it was them, maybe a disguise or some sort. I don't know what's going on. But daughters or not, is it righteous to get drunk and sleep with two women, getting both of them pregnant, yes or no? No, no. And yet, yet, Peter, 
the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit himself, is writing these words down in his letter to, in 2 Peter, and he calls Lot righteous. How? How is he calling Lot righteous? We know the things that he's done. What does Peter understand that we don't? What does Peter know from the Holy Spirit that we don't understand? What is it? I want to tell you, Lot is righteous because God sees him as righteous. If I can land this plane, <laughs> it'll be so helpful to so many people here. Lot is righteous because God sees him as righteous, not because of his works. Huh? And some of you are going, woo, because last weekend was a little rough. I'm just saying. Our righteousness is not found in our works. Our righteousness is found in how God sees us. And those of us who are believers know this. God sees Christ's works over our lives instead of our own works. We have been washed as white as snow, we sing. Genesis chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. We'll put the words on the screen. This is the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Just before God sends destruction to the cities, we read this in verse 15. And as morning dawned, the angels that God had sent to rescue Lot, they say, Lot, wake up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. There's punishment coming. They know this. They're coming to rescue. But he lingered. What? So, he, so the men seized him, grabbed him by his hand and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And the Lord being merciful to him. I love that. They brought him out and set him outside the city. See, God was spared and God, Lot was spared because God chose to spare him. That God sent someone to save them. We'll keep reading. Um, verse 17. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Don't look back. Don't stop in the valley for anything. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away in this destruction. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And now you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. What Peter is telling us that the righteousness that Lot has to be spared the destruction, because hear me, God said, I'm going to destroy the wicked and spare the righteous, and then he sends angels to save Lot because God sees him as righteous. The same is true for us. It is not based on our works, our righteousness rather, is not based on our works, but on the works of Christ. God sent someone to save us. <laughs> Jesus. Desperately, he, he tries to grab our hands and say, wake up. Death is looming. Destruction is coming. Wake up. I want to save you. You don't know what I've done. doesn't matter. I'll save you. I'll save you. I'll bring you out of this place. I'll take you and your family out if you want. But you have to go now. If Peter was a false teacher, we would never hear of the righteousness of Lot. He would be another one condemned to damnation. But Peter understands the true nature of who Jesus is. And he says, and whatever you do and wherever you go, don't ever forget it. 
Don't ever forget it. For as long as I'm alive, he says, I'm going to remind you of these things. Christ has come to save. Christ has come to rescue. I want to pray for us. The band is coming back. and I know I didn't finish the chapter. Homework, if you're so inclined, read it. you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for what you've done, that you've shown us that false teachers come to use us as consumables to feed their own green, greed. We know that they're amongst us and around us, and sometimes they're trying to um, lead us down a road of destruction. But God, you have come to rescue us, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can be spared. God, we thank you for your son Jesus who helps us who bore the punishment of our sin upon his own body, even though he had never sinned. That you judged him guilty, just as you would judge us guilty. But by grace through faith in Christ alone, we have been spared the judgment. We thank you for that. God, all other doctrines about who Jesus is are wrong. There are wide roads that lead to destruction. This narrow belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he has saved us, he is raised from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father even now, that alone saves us, God. God, I pray we be willing to help others see this truth as well whether we invite them to join us at church or we sit down with them over a coffee and just share the truth of Jesus. God, thank you that you've shown us the abil- uh, given us the ability to, to see false teachers when they're near us and we can, um, we can stop our ears. We do not have to listen to what they're selling. Lord, we thank you for that. God, I pray that your son Jesus would be exalted in this place, that he'd be worshiped in this place that he'd be famous in this place, that, that anyone and everyone who ever enters these doors would know that this whole thing exists because of Jesus, that it is for Jesus. We want to give praise and honor and glory to Jesus. Nothing else matters, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless all of you. I'm so thankful that you're here. The band has come back up and we're gonna sing a couple more songs. And, and if you're visiting with us, this just means that for the rest of us, we just, we stand and we sing and we pray together and we just have a wonderful time. So I encourage you to join with us. If anyone's here and would love to talk about maybe a finer point of something that I mentioned, um, there'll be some of us in the back praying for you. We go out these back doors into the right and we pray out there, not because it's special or more holy, just because it's more quiet. We can hear you out there. So if you guys need prayer today, please don't, don't come all this way, park the car, brave the cold, and, and you know all that, and not get prayer today. We'd love to pray with you. So anyways, Jesus loves you, and I do too. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.